podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Yes, hello, welcome to Steve Blimmer's Washing, the Derby County podcast, where we're all breathing a huge sigh of relief. Uh, the monkey's off our back, whatever cliche you want to use, because Derby have an away goal, two in fact, and a big, fat, juicy first away win of the season to cap it all off too. Uh, the first game of the Paul Warren era saw an assured, dominant and deserved three points picked up at the Abbey Stadium in Cambridge. And uh, I think we can all agree that that elusive away win was a little longer in coming than we would have hoped. Uh, joining me, Chris Parsons, to usher in the era of worn ball are parenting's Tom Martin. Uh, how much sleep have you had in the past month, mate? A reasonable amount, four hours a night or something like that. I think I've seen one o'clock in the morning, as I think I said in the last podcast. Uh, now for the last six weeks of the day, you take which that, is excellent. You know, uh, you know, it only gets better, sort of, and then it gets worse for a bit, and then it gets better, and then it gets worse. I'm not sure if that could advice Thanks, or Chris. not, Cheers. but you know. <laughs> My partner in crime in Cambridge, uh, Richard Kutcher, is also here too. What a day it was yesterday, mate. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, really good day. And on the, on the vibe of relax, I am sat here with the lights down, the lamps on, the candles on, and the large glass of red wine. So very much relaxing into the Sunday evening. Romantic Richard Kutcher scenes. Brilliant stuff. Um, <laughs> By myself. <laughs> alone in the dark. What I mean, it was basically what I imagined or hoped league, the League One experience would be like at, at the weekend at Cambridge. Like, you know, trips that we haven't done before to like new towns and cities, traditional clubs, like proper football teams, Old school grounds with four separate stands. I mean, I, I watched the highlights from Derby playing there in '92 earlier today, and like the ground looks remarkably similar, apart from a new away end. Yeah. Um, and hopefully a Derby win, and ideally even a rainbow at the end. And we got all of those, <laughs> didn't we, Kutch? So no complaints for me yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, that no, was a really good day out. I mean, obviously it was a little bit sad that we had to drive because of the train strikes that were on. So obviously less ale than we would usually like to go for. Uh, I know, Chris, you were feeling a bit under weather as well, but um, the football more than made up for all of that for once. Normally, it's the way around, I guess. Um, so it was a really good day out. We didn't get to see much of Cambridge apart from uh, a pub called the Tram Depot, which was perfectly pleasant for a, for a pre-match burger and a pint uh, and a park and ride and, and the rainbow. Uh, but Cambridge, other than that, looked lovely. Uh, and um, I thought the away end was a fantastic place to be. Um, particularly after we got that first goal and, and James Collins' um, second goal of the season as well. So, yeah, really good day out. Quite a long day considering it was relatively local for us. But here's so many more of those. Did we ever establish why there was that massive gap between the goal and the away end? Um, I mean, it, it made it quite inconvenient for the photographers, didn't it? When Collins got the second and he had to sort of pick up the gear yeah. and... <laughs> 
waddle after him and you know like try and try and get the shot like it was quite a bizarre setup I haven't really seen anything like that at an away ground before no and I didn't even make use of it for the kind of uh half-time entertainment either which was quite good half-time entertainment um but that th- that was a really strange they obviously chose to have the other end right up against the home kind of cop end if you will um so I guess if if the if the pitch is too long then they choose to obviously put the away fans a bit further away from it but didn't ruin the spectacle really uh maybe it would have been nicer to be a bit closer to the action when that second goal went in uh but all in all i thought it was a, a pretty welcoming uh place to go cambridge is a lovely place mate i've uh i've been there quite a few times in the in the past and actually coincidentally i've only been to the abbey stadium once when i saw uh, nigel cross sheffield united win their 2-0 in the fa cup um and it's a lovely little ground in terms of atmosphere as well you get like a really good sort of bounce off the away end um, for noise, so the Derby fans of Fort Stand had a great voice yesterday, and then, again, I'm not really sure why the away fans are so far away. I know that there's a there's something. I think there's something about a slope down towards the the away end, and I think that to build the the away stand a little bit higher, so you're you're raised. So the the front row yeah. is not actually yeah yeah the front row is not actually level with the pitch as it looks, but it actually is level with the pitch as you're if you're actually in the front row. And it's a bit of an un- unusual one, but um, yeah, lovely little quaint little ground. But uh, as my girlfriend said to me uh, when she was watching the highlights this morning she was like is this how bad derby you've got because you're playing stadiums like that and i was like thanks very much this is exactly what we're playing in every week and at the moment we can't score in them but today we did cambridge united nil derby county two then uh james collins brace taking care of business for the rams i mean loads to admire in that performance you'd have to say from back to front one to eleven and a, a particularly satisfying one for me personally i must say as the last time i saw Derby win an away league game was almost four years ago um, <laughs> against Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday, sorry, in the uh, Lampard season in 2018. I really need to choose my away days much better. Well, I think I've got you beaten there, haven't I, Chris? I think we worked out my last away win might have been Birmingham, Birmingham City away under Gary Rowett. We, yeah, we suspect so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to be fair, there was a pandemic in the middle of that where it was behind closed doors for a yeah. while, but, uh, and we haven't won many away games generally, but. No. Yeah, it felt it felt good. It felt good. As you could probably see on Twitter from my quite red face during celebrating the second goal. <laughs> um Kutch, the rainbow aside, uh, what impressed you most from that Cambridge performance? It's probably gotta be James Collins. Um, in terms of the performance, I thought not just the goals, but he just was way more involved in the game in the game in a way that we haven't seen from in, in any other game. You know, he was, he was, he obviously he had more balls to chase. He had more balls to win. I think actually having Dobbin up front pretty much alongside him, particularly in that first half, really helped Collins because he wasn't getting kind of, when the ball was going up to him, there wasn't two centre-backs, you know, kind of marking him. So they had something else to think about and that really freed him up. And he seemed to win, he seemed to win more 50-50s up to him than he has all season. And that's not a criticism of him previously. I just think that, he didn't have kind of the incentive to win anything that did go into him before. And he just seemed like a completely different player all round, even before his goal. I thought he was, he kind of already had earned that goal even before he chased down that pretty poor speculative through ball. So I think he was the biggest, biggest impressive uh, part. In terms of generally, I just thought the players seemed to pretty much to a man completely embrace the new instructions. I think the new instructions are pretty simple, uh, which is good. Um, and they seem to embrace that, and it, it didn't seem to be much of a hangover of them trying to play, you know, old habits kind of thing. There wasn't any of that, so I think that's a good sign in terms of this team progressing going forward. There's obviously a lot more improvement to come. There wasn't a perfect performance uh, by any means, 
Um, but generally, I just thought the attitude was there, the application was there, and of course, most importantly, the result was there. Two great goals, a really great win, but because I mean, it looks a little bit hairy early on when uh, there was a moment which I think has been cut out the highlights um, when Aaron Cashin appeared to, appeared to scythe down the Cambridge striker. I mean, I'd love to see it again because it looked like he absolutely cleaned him out. Um, and am I right in thinking the ref gave it the other way? It looked like he got away with one, with one there. I'd love to be corrected on that. What was? Do you remember that one vividly? Yeah, I do remember it. It's on the on the Ram TV highlights. It is in there. Uh, I was watching them again this evening. Um, yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, I think we massively got away with that one at the time. Both you and I saw it completely clearly. I thought and. Cashin doesn't win the ball. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's close to winning the ball, but I don't think he does. And the Cambridge player gets a, I think the Cambridge player kicks it. And maybe the referee thinks that Cashin actually nicks the ball, but he's not just late. He's a last man and he's possibly high as well. And when it happened, I, I was convinced in the, in the kind of the seconds straight afterwards, I was convinced it was, it was going to be a red card and I probably wouldn't have been complaining against the referee uh, if it had been at the time. Um, and looking back on it, I'm not really dissuaded from that original view. Uh, so we did, we did get away with that one. I don't, I don't think he gave a free kick to us. I think there was another reason that, why play broke down pretty quickly afterwards. I was actually quite surprised that neither of you guys mentioned it on the uh, the WhatsApp, although we obviously didn't chat too much because you're watching the game. But um, I was when I saw that, I was like, oh, hang on, is he? Uh, what's happened there? Why is that not being given as a foul? And then you saw the replay a couple of times on the highlights, and I was like. I don't think he's got anywhere near the ball. The only mitigating thing, I think, for Cashin is the fact that the Cambridge player kicks the ball up in the air rather than forward. And because he kicks it up in the air, it looks like it might have got a deflection from yeah. from the, the referee's perspective. And as a result, he's not given it. But I mean, it's a good job we haven't got VAR because I think they'd be looking at that again. And well, actually, maybe they have because Stuart Atwell would have been on it and he wouldn't have given a red card like he didn't for Thiago Silva yesterday. So swings and roundabouts isn't it I guess but um, yeah I think Cashin got away for one yesterday and it's about time we had the rubber the green with a poor refereeing decision because I don't think we've had that many decisions that have gone our way they seem to have gone against us over the, the course of the season and over the year they do seem to even themselves out so for this one we'll take that and that came a few minutes before the uh, before Derby took the lead um, it's always always nice to see you win an away game 2-0 with a goal at the end of the first half and a goal at the end of the second half Um not really that much else to say about it apart from awful, awful defending. We were saying, Kutch, afterwards that it was slightly reminiscent of the uh, the, the blunder that Cashin made um, for Plymouth's winner, I want to say, uh, when they beat us 3-2. But obviously the Plymouth player was a lot further out and a lot wider. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, was, it was horrendous. But, you know, Collins has still got work to do, still got to slot it away. And we were, we were saying the good thing about Collins is that we can't really tell if he's left-footed or right-footed because he scored, I think, both with his left. Is he predominantly yeah. left or is he right? We couldn't really tell, but that's a good sign, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely it is. It seems like he just wants to finish with whatever foot he's got available to him. He seemed to choose his left foot for both goals. I think he could have taken either with his right. So I imagine maybe left is a stronger, but uh, someone will probably tweet us and tell us we're wrong on that. But um, it was it was good. I was literally, I think Tom's got screenshots of it, but I was texting uh, our WhatsApp group actually at the time saying that there'd been quite a few kind of speculative through balls which hadn't necessarily found their target. So we kicked the ball out of play a few times, which we didn't obviously see under Liam Rossini in a way that we tried to play football there. And it was quite, it was quite uh, an obvious change that they wanted to get the ball quickly, even if it was kind of a 50-50 ball. And I was making that point uh, to Tom and Anton on, on WhatsApp, just as 
Um, the ball was put over. I think it was Mendes Lang that kind of just lifted it over the top. It was, you know, pretty much it was in between the goalkeeper and the defender. So there was a there was a it was a 50-50 pull, I guess, maybe a bit poorer than that. But Collins chases it down. And well, I think what's great from Collins there is so many strikers you see will chase that and they'll get too close to the defender. Defender takes a tumble and you just give away a free kick and it breaks down. But Collins chased it, but catches distance and a major defender have to try and do something. And we got the rubber the green again. As he obviously he bucks it up, he misses the ball completely, and Collins goes through. It's not an easy finish. It's kind of bouncing ball, but he puts it away pretty comfortably. Um, and it was probably um, I don't want to say that's gonna be a stereotypical goal under Paul Warren. I'm sure it's not, but it kind of epitomizes the change in approach that we were happy just to put a ball over the top and and see what came of it. You were raised a question, Chris, about whether Collins is left footed or right footed. I would say he's right footed, and actually he took take takes both of those goals really well with his left foot, which is surprising. The only reason why I say he's right-footed, and I've not looked at it enough to, to say, so I'm happy to be corrected, but do you remember that Charlton chance when it was pulled across by, I think, Barkhausen? And it's clearly just smash it on your left foot, mate. Just hit it as hard as you can. And he lets the ball run across his body and like, tries to do the outside of his right foot. If he's left-footed, he absolutely creams that into the back of the net. Um, and because he lets it run across his body, because he was lacking a bit of confidence, he doesn't do that. But um, the goal, I thought, the first one from the de- defender's mistake, the ball sat out quite nicely just for him to to lift it over the top of the goalkeeper with his left foot. And it wasn't it wasn't a difficult technical finish, unlike the one that's coming across him where he had to, like, uh, against Charlton. So I do think that he's maybe more naturally uh, right-footed. And uh, I think the the question about his second one, I, you'd have to look at the goalkeeper. I don't think it's hit that well. And because it's not hit that well, it's one of those that maybe tricks the goalkeeper a little bit and he's, he's beaten his near post. I've watched the goal quite a few times. I haven't quite been able to get a, uh, um, a view on if he does beat him at the near post. It looks like he did because like the Cambridge defenders are remonstrating with the goalkeeper um, when it goes in. But yeah, oh, gosh, what a moment that was. I mean, we're saying in the car on the way home that we haven't had many moments over the years at away games that you would genuinely that genuinely stay with us because they were so great. And we'll, we'll come to the assist. I'm sure you can wax lyrical about that from Max Bird. But when the ball comes to Collins, you'd imagine he's maybe going to skew it across goal or cut back onto his right or dink it to the back post or pull it back. Um, but yeah, to see him just drill it low and hard, seeing the net bulge. And then the look on his face, you're so pleased for him on a personal level because it was absolutely lapping up like the adulation from that away end. And yeah, when he scored, I was just thinking back to all those games where he has found things difficult. And yeah, I was absolutely made up for him. An absolute peach of a, of a moment for um, for all the people who were there. Well, as I said before, he deserved it as well. I mean, his all round his all round game, like he 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 was playing like a real talisman and as a, and as a real leader. Like he was getting into scraps, he was defending his teammates, he was you know being aggravating. It obviously, he was a really horrible person for the Cambridge defence to play against. I think he gave both their centre backs a real torrid time throughout the whole game when he was pulling into the channels. He was getting physical with them. I just think that the two goals, he really earned those two goals from the way that he played the whole match and, and led the line for the team. And I think he set a real example for everyone else around him. I just think under a senior, maybe he didn't feel like he could show that part of his game or, or show it to its full potential and, and really be that present. So I think, you know, I think we all talked earlier in the week before about, you know, who will be the winners and losers from from this new kind of Paul Warren era. And I think there's a few others to talk about maybe in the second half, but, but James Collins absolutely is is one of those winners probably first on the list. And I think a surprising winner is Max Bird. I thought Max Bird had a had a fantastic game. 
Um, he started off really well. He won a couple of 50-50s in the middle of the park, uh, quite crunching tackles. He then lost a couple of 50-50s, which is what happens because they're 50-50s. And then he he also put Dobbin through in the first half. Before he got the goal, he released Dobbin. It almost came of a goal uh, with a nice through ball. And of course, his kind of what I'd call a, a freeway assist for the second goal, he makes a block inside the 18-yard box when Cambridge are looking dangerous, breaking into the box. He then gets up. Knight, Knight makes a 50-50. Burr picks up on the loose ball. I don't know if he finds Collins on the halfway line on the left wing by accident or slightly deflected, or it was, a, it was a fantastic ball. Not sure, but he gets up, wins a loose ball, gets it out to Collins, runs 50 yards forward, is there to pick up the return from Collins, and then, yeah, complete no-look, faked pass. He draws about three defenders towards him, and he plays the ball into Collins' path. Not quite perfect pass. It kind of sends Collins a little bit wide, uh, so we'll give him maybe 8 out of 10 for that. But, I mean, it was, for me, I thought he was, along with Jason Knight, the best two players in the pitch after uh james collins he played some really good first time forward passes and i think he's going to actually be maybe a very surprising asset in this paul warren team i think one's biggest battle is getting uh is getting connor harrahan and max bird to both have a good game at the same time because when one's good the other seems to be off it i mean that's probably a bit unfair but yeah harrahan didn't have a great day for me against Cambridge, like, you know, swung in a few decent free kicks and set pieces, but also put in a few stinkers as well, um, just like he did against Charlton and one or two other away games where he hasn't been quite on it. Um, what's what what's happening there, Kutch? Because, I mean, the last time I made this point, he went on to score both goals in a 2-1 win the week after. So he's clearly got a class, but there, there's, there's times where it just doesn't quite work out for him, aren't there? Yeah, I definitely thought that he struggled probably the most, maybe with Parkhausen in terms of the way that we're playing. I don't think it's going to be a long-term problem. I think he'll find his feet for sure, and he's too good a player not to. And he can have a quiet game and then pop up with a glorious twenty, you know, twenty-five-yard winner or, or two goals, and like like he did uh, against Wickham Wanderers. So he, he definitely earns his place in the team. But I think he maybe in a way that Max he didn't in a way that Max Bird did kind of pick up on the quicker style of play, more direct style. We had a good chance in the second half. Maybe if he'd finished that, he would have looked at his game a bit different. But I just thought maybe he was a little bit quieter, which he can be sometimes. And maybe he's going to be way more effective at home when teams will still sit back against us. Like just because we're playing a different side of football doesn't mean teams won't come to Pride Park and play deep. And and maybe Harrahan will be much more effective for Derby in this team at home and he will be away. Um, So I think... I'm perfectly fine with Bird, Harrahan and, and Knight playing together in a free in this system. But when you've got Corey Smith back, I think maybe there will be a few more decisions to make about how that, that middle three is is kind of formulated and maybe it is slightly different home and away. It didn't really seem to me that Cambridge really had any clear-cut chances, to be honest. I mean, and that is full credit to to the back three. And and I think a player who played really well and impressed but didn't get as many of the plaudits is uh, James Chester. Because, I mean... There are a few moments, Kutch, which again may not have made it into the highlights where like he was in a one-on-one, but didn't panic, just used his experience and just like, you know, stepped in at the exact split second, perfect timing to, uh, you know, to, to dispossess the opponent when it looked like we could have been caught cold or, or had an overload at the back. Like it's, it's interesting with him because he's had to wait to come in, but you'd think now that he's probably going to be a mainstay in that back three, isn't he? Well, if we play a back three, I think he absolutely will be. He may well be Paul Warren's choice for a for a right back as well if we do play four at the back at home, perhaps. So um, I thought he had a few hairy moments in the first half against Wickham. 
um when he came when he first came back um but he did yeah he did play really well like yesterday and i think you're right about those kind of block tackles he, he stays on his feet he, he reads it really well and he just picks the ball off people and i do think that i mean i'd be interested to hear what tom thinks about this but chester davis and cashin if they're all fit and i think curtis davis still looked a little bit hesitant he had a few clangers yesterday including the one which led to cashin's almost um <laughs> sending off um, I do think that back three is is pretty formidable. I think if we think if that's the way we're going to go, both from open play, Chester and Cash in particular, good in the ball, and all three of them a real presence, a real presence in both eighteen yard box from from set pieces. So if those three can keep fit, I think Chester's a great addition to that back line. Yeah, I absolutely agree with all of that that you've said um, on both both sort of cases. And I think in terms of the back three. Um, James Chester, really experienced player, good quality on the ball. Cashin is really learning his trade and, um, again, good quality on the ball and, and not afraid to get a tackle in, which is exactly what you, what you want from a centre-back at, at this level. And he's also um, he's got a fledgling Ireland career in there. And there was a lovely video I saw of him doing a, a brilliant turn against, I think, Israel under-21s in the week. And um, you're just like, yeah, he looks like he's a confident young man. And that's exactly what you want with alongside two experienced players. And he's going to learn his trade well. Curtis Davis hasn't been at its best and I think he'd be first to admit that, but he is an absolute leader uh, and you need him on that team and you need him on the pitch in order to to pull that team forward. And if one of those three isn't performing at their level, then you've also got Richard Stearman, who we know can come in and do a job. I also think actually that if, you know, if Cashin has to come out or he's injured or suspended at some point, I think Hayden Roberts as a left centre-back would be a pretty good option as well. I mean, he is meant to be a centre-back, I think. That's how Brighton have used him through the through the to the ranks before and i think he's good in the ball and, and he's not maybe quite the same aerial presence as cashin i think cashin won almost everything in the air again yesterday which was insane because he's not the tallest uh but roberts i think would be would be a good left center back option in, in addition to Stearman who can cover the back three yeah and i agree with that as well i think he's a real ball player uh hayden roberts i think he looks really technical um and like maybe a step above like league one in the future um just a little bit lightweight perhaps at the back post if you're if the ball's coming into the box um what the three at the back does negate is the fact that our weakest point in the squad which is a, a, a right back i know we need to play there for a right wing back but um nathaniel mendes lang or or tom barkhausen can sort of do that job in there and they can be Whilst they might be officially a right wing back, they can be a, a right winger um, and play more forward rather than having their defensive role because you've got a, de- uh, a central midfielder who will fill in in that position or James Chester who will go across to sort of right back to cover that cover that area. They don't need to be a legitimate left left wing back, or, sorry, right wing back. And we can obviously look to recruit that in, the, in January. So I do think that the change of formation maybe uh, allows more uh, round, hole, uh, round pegs and round holes rather than like the... Uh, your square peg in a round hole like we had with Jason Knight. Stay with us on Steve Bloomer's washing uh, and don't forget you can support us this season on Patreon, of course. Uh, you can help keep the podcast going and get access to bonus content, uh, behind the scenes video. We, we do match day video diaries, uh, other little bits and pieces of extra stuff as well. And uh, you can find that over at patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomer's washing. Two-man Forest wall. Gary Teal and Chris Commons standing over it. Surely it will be the former Forest player, Chris Commons, to take. Commons looks up, takes a free kick, delivered it towards Hulse. Yes! Derby have scored! Derby have scored! Rob Hulse! Ten minutes to go with Bright Park, and in the A52 Derby, Rob Hulse's header, a bullet header for the Chris Commons free kick, has put the Rams in front. My role player this afternoon. Uh...
not sold the Lizzie, but he's had a bad time for a while, and we've managed to get him out of this trouble now and again by getting three goals when we're 2 0 down. And, and I felt that potentially a very good clean threat for a steep high, but on, on Wednesday, uh, Middlesbrough, everything was low for him. And I, I, he has to come out just for he was with this one completely. I think we're going to get him out, get restored his confidence. Because, uh, as I said, as even man, 23 year old, he's got the great future, but uh, I needed to make that change. Hi, I'm Paolo Wanchop, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Is that Jim Smith? Yeah, yeah. It's... How much post-match wine had he had in that clip? <laughs> God bless him. I think, it's, it, I think it's, it's a pre-match clip, Chris. Oh, is it? Right, so it's okay. him, him talking about it's him talking about having to take Russell, ha- Russell Holt out, because I think we've just been battered 3-0 in the league by Borough or Wednesday. Right. And then we were playing them again in the cup, and he was bringing Martin Taylor in, and he was basically slagging off Russell Holt because he's, you know, um, been playing poor recently, but it's a combination of the North Yorkshire accent and or the Yorkshire accent, sorry, and um, a nineteen ninety eight video clip yeah. on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, all credit to you I, in, I, I uh, hope... out outdoing yourself in finding an even more niche clip you did last time. Like you're in a real personal crusade on that, aren't you? There's not a lot of the bald eagle on YouTube, unfortunately, and. Um, and some of the stuff has got kind of dodgy uh, music in the background from like, you know, the season recaps and stuff, which just makes it kind of unusable. I actually thought it was a really, really drunk Steve McLaren when I first heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you playing? I see it. They could have both been pissed before the game. It's possible. What happens then, going back to the present day derby, with, with these wingbacks then, chaps? I mean, uh, it's clearly the system that Paul Warren wants to go with and against Cambridge. It was Mendes Lang on one side and Barkhausen on the other side. I mean, it worked well in for Mendes Lang in the sense that he had a lot of space to run into and he really got one-on-one with, um, you know, with the Cambridge fullback a few times, got a few crosses over. But then I think as the game went on, him and Barkhausen sort of became deeper and deeper and we went to sort of more of a five at the back. I mean, would you stick with them or, as you said before, Tom, go with Hayden Roberts or Fozzie as an option or keep them as as the support for when Barkhausen uh, gasses out, as uh, as Paul One likes to say. And do you think a right-back is a top priority in January, assuming we've got any sort of money or the means to get one? I think it's I think it's difficult. I think playing three at the back is uh, a challenging formation because you you change from the sort of natural formation that most people um, play when they're growing up. Like most people will play a 4-4-2 or 4-3-3 sort of variant. Uh, and therefore, when you're playing five at the back, it is very different to, to playing... Well, playing three at the back certainly is very different to playing four at the back. And you, you kind of struggle as a centre-half to know what your role is. Do you step into midfield? Do you hold the line? Do you pick up the man? Do you hand them over? Do you go across the left back? Do you go across the right back? And there's lots of questions that maybe um, exist in your mind playing in that three uh, three at the back system that wouldn't exist if you were playing a four at the back. So I think if Paul Warren seems to have his preference of playing that system. Um we obviously have, have enough centre-backs. We're lacking the full-back, so it makes sense to do that. But I also think that Paul Warren seems a pragmatic enough guy to say we don't need to play that system because we've got good enough players to do a, a different system. And I don't think Mendes Lang and Barkhausen are natural wing-backs. So it sort of seems a bit of a waste to have both of those in that position. Uh, I don't think they're sort of defensively strong enough and I don't think they're like up and down sort of players and they're both better, much much better going forward. So I would prefer to see them in a sort of three up front sort of position where you've got someone central but then also you've got that question of James Collins looks a lot better with someone else alongside him so in Collins we've got a goal scorer and we've been saying that 
for a long, long time. And he looks like he's starting to come into it. And I really hope that he continues this run of, run of form. Um, and I think that regardless, we'll be able to sort of keep up with the uh, the top six, maybe even, even, even higher than that over the next few months, even if we're not a fully settled side and we don't really have a system that we're really happy with. And we've still got a few players who are playing not quite in the right position. This is the issue, isn't it, Kutch? I mean, we're Barkhausen. He's had some decent moments. I mean, he yeah, chipped in with a couple of goals, but I feel personally, I wasn't massively impressed with him when he was really hugging the the uh, the touchline. When he was really out wide, I feel he's a bit more effective coming in and when he's a bit more through the middle. Um, and then Mendes Lang, again, not great defensively. I mean, his touch let himself let him down a couple of times and put us in a couple of tricky spots against Cambridge. But on the other hand, he's one of those players that you do want to get him in the team somewhere because he is explosive, he can score goals, and he has been one of our best attacking outlets this season, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think under Rossinha, uh, he's been our most consistent attacking outlet in terms of goals or assists or, or making things happen. And I think you do need to get him into the team. I, I, in terms of what you were saying about him let, getting us into tricky situations... And it's not his fault because it's the way he plays. And if you're going to play him essentially 30 yards further back, there's a few times where I think you're talking about Chris, where he kind of picked the ball up maybe just in their own half or maybe on the halfway line. And, you know, he tried to beat the man like he absolutely should do because he normally will beat his man. And But he's on the halfway line or he's in our own half. And if you lose it there, then that's a bigger problem than if you lose it on the edge of the opposition's 18-yard box. And I think that's a risk. And look, any formation and system is about trade-offs. Every formation has weaknesses um, because there's no perfect formation. There's no perfect setup. So, yeah, he's Paul Warren's probably seen it as, well, I want to get Barkhausen or an attacking left wing back on the pitch. I want to get Nathaniel Mendes-Lang as an attacking right-sided player on the pitch so we can get two people up front and we can still have three people in the midfield. And if that may be um, kind of devalues a little bit of Mendes Lang's output that might be a trade-off that is better yeah if you get more out of James Collins or you get more out of the midfield and you have more midfield control and you win that battle that's maybe a trade-off you're willing to accept I think it's a I feel a little bit sorry for both of them to be honest because I think Nathaniel Mendes Lang has obviously started the season great and being a real threat and playing with a lot of confidence on the right wing Barkhausen I agree with you Chris he's had his moments he's kind of drifted in and out um, of games a bit I think all season um, he was hugging the touchline, uh, particularly in the first half, quite high up the pitch, as he was told to do, but he didn't ever really get the ball quickly. I think Harahan tried it once, Mendes Lang tried it once to switch the ball quick, switch the play quickly. It didn't quite come off. Um, he often did beat his man, but then didn't really get a decent um, final ball into the box. So, yeah, I think that's definitely been a work in progress. It'd be interesting to see where he goes if he, if he per- perseveres with the 3 5 2 how that goes. I, I think if you're going to play Mendes Lang there, I kind of think you go for Broke and he just plays higher up the pitch because he's kind of wasted. If he's picking the ball up in halfway inside his own half, it feels like a real waste to me and almost a waste not worth taking if he's going to lose the ball in that position. So I think if you're going to play Mendes Lang, you've just got to be a bit braver. Jason, If Jason Knight plays on the right of the midfield three, he can easily sweep sweep up behind there. That, that might be the way to go. But it was interesting in, in the post-match comments, Chris, that Paul Warren was saying the one thing he picked up on, you know, he's saying to the wingers, Barkhausen and Nathaniel Mendes-Lang, when you get the ball, don't don't wait for someone to come and support you. Just go go at the fullback straight away, beat the man straight away and get the cross in. Because I was complaining about there was no overlap or whatever. Obviously, the players have been told, don't go out there, don't crowd them, 
let them do their thing, let them beat their man and get the ball in, get in the box instead. So maybe it's just a, a case of us as fans adapting to what we're not used to seeing, adapting to something a bit a bit new and different. I think the overlapping stuff comes from when you have four players at the back and you've got two right back, uh, right back and a left back who will overlap. And that, that's obviously not going to happen with a, a three at the back and a 5-3-2 or 3-5-2 system. Um, and you're right in terms of like saying that Barkhausen and Nathaniel Mendes-Lang, they need to get forward uh, and they need to sort of attack the attack the full back and that's that's what they're going to be best at doing and the the danger is obviously like what we've seen or what I saw from yesterday's performance is certainly like we went back to very much basics let's get the ball forward when when we can let's not faff around with it too much at the back it was nice to see the goal kicks being taken by a goalkeeper rather than by a centre back if I'm being totally honest um and we we scored a goal from a mistake which arguably wouldn't have been scored over the last 18 months or so and Again, that is not to discredit any of the work that Rooney and Bassinho have done, but it was nice to see that change. And actually, if you start to overcomplicate things by asking someone at night to do this little bit of difference here or do this bit here and this bit, and you you add too many instructions into a team, you overcomplicate things. And what we've seen in League One is that the opposition is not very good and they like to sit back and they like to defend on things. And if we allow them to sit back and defend and get their shape, they're okay. But if we get forward and get into them, we we have success and that that's what I think we saw yesterday. I think we're generally man for man we're better than probably at least eighteen teams in this division, possibly more man for man. And the way that we played yesterday was kind of as pretty simple. Get the ball forward pretty quickly. It wasn't you know it wasn't hoofball stuff. There was a few speculative through balls over the top as I said, but generally we were trying to find people in advanced positions and we we're getting people up the pitch quickly. Um, and if you kind of get yourself into a shootout with a team, then I think we'll win more than we lose. I mean, Cambridge United, I couldn't really tell exactly how they were playing. I don't know if they had a poor game because there was a lot of uncertainty about their manager coming into the game and maybe that disrupted things. Maybe they didn't know what to expect from Paul Warren's derby. Um, but it, it seemed like we just kind of outplayed Cambridge at maybe a similar game to what they wanted to play. I didn't, didn't really get, didn't really know what how Cambridge were trying to play. They weren't trying to press us. I guess it's hard to press us because we move the ball forward quickly. Um, they weren't massively trying to play out from the back themselves. Um, I just think we kind of maybe out-leagued one Cambridge. And if if that's going to be Paul Warren's plan, I think it'll work. It, I guess it'll come down to how do we do against Pompey? How do we do against Ipswich? When we go to Plymouth, how do we do there? It's going to come down to, to those games possibly in terms of how far this team can go, if it's just going to be challenging for the playoffs or maybe going for top two. Yeah, it's interesting what Tom said earlier about um, being glad to see goal kicks being taken by a goalkeeper, not a defender. And there was a funny moment, wasn't there, Gutch, when Wildsmith had a goal kick and uh, I think Davis came short to him, but Wildsmith like, visibly pushed him away and told him to like get up the pitch. And there were a couple of fans near us who yeah. literally said, like, you tell him like about time. Like, people were so happy that we weren't trying to play out from the back anymore. Um, but, you know... That's League One for yeah. you, and that's Warren Ball for you. Yeah, it is. But also, there was in the first half, we did take the goal kick short twice. And what I think I was pleased to see that was we were mixing it up, which is all I think a lot of people only ever wanted was you need to have a little bit of variety. You need to show them something different. I think the first like five goal kicks we took uh, yesterday were all straight up the pitch. But there's definitely two in the second half where we took it short because I remember the two fans around us shouting, we don't want to see that again. I thought we'd stop doing that. <laughs> so like, I, I think it's all about variety. And I think going back to kind of Paul Warren's pragmatism, I think that's he's kind of keen on that. I think Rosinia's method of play, I agree with Tom. I didn't, I didn't dislike it. 
I just felt a bit like Max Bird. It became a caricature of itself. And it felt like we were doing it for the sake of doing it rather than doing it to solve a problem or, or to open a team up. There's absolutely nothing wrong with a short goal kick. My issue has always been is when you do a short goal kick into the centre of the park. Because if you do a, a short goal kick into the middle of the goal, you cause yourself a problem. The short goal kick needs to go wide and then the ball needs to go wide or it needs to go long. Um, and that, that's that's always been the sort of challenge for me. Like I remember the, I think it was Bournemouth game where someone took a, I think it was Curtis Davis took a short goal kick into to Calavus last season, and he like lost the ball and we end up conceding. Like I've never seen such a fast cool goal that conceded from a team before. Like by taking a short goal kick, never go central. Like you're told that as a kid, don't pass across the box, don't pass the ball into the centre. Like unless you're far enough up the pitch, it's too dangerous. And that was what always sort of was a conundrum. No problem playing short, play short, play wide. But if you're not sure, go long. And that's that's the difficulty. And I think, as you say, Kutch, having a bit of options, like if we put go long and then they drop off, then we've got some space to play behind us and, and we can then play short and then we can build from the back. Fine. But I think always playing short so teams know and they're sitting on the edge of the box waiting for us to do a short goal kick. Stupid, stupid idea. And I'm glad we're not doing it anymore. Plenty of selection headaches then for, uh, for Paul Warren, especially with uh, Mansfield away. In the cup this week, and uh, then Port Vale at home, two uh, very different propositions to Cambridge away. It's fair to say, so lots for him to think about. But we've all seen, you know, the the Paul Warren unveiling content, uh, lots of it, as you'd expect. And yeah, I'm I'm definitely sold on him, absolutely. But I'm just intrigued to find out what you both think about his his style, about the way he goes about things, and his leadership and his personality, like because he is quite unlike any Derby County manager we've had for as far as I can remember, really. You know, this isn't in any way to criticise Rossini or Rooney or Koku or ones who went before, but they were a lot more guarded, um, you know, not standoffish, but a lot more, a, a lot less candid and, and honest. Whereas... You know, Paul Warren, I mean, to be fair, I've listened to a few episodes of the the BBC podcast with him from last season, which is great. Um, and you should definitely listen to. But, you know, he's getting asked all sorts and he's very open from the off. Like, I feel like I, I know this guy better than I know you two and my own family, you know, and he's only been Derby manager for like for, for the best part of a week. So how do you feel about that? Do you because uh, I, I just saw one or two people say, you know, look, the, the, the gags and everything's fine, but you know, who we judged on results, like what have you made of, of how he's been in his first few days and how he is as a manager? Yeah, I really like him. I like the honesty. Um, I like the fact that he just seems to talk to you like like a mate, as you say. And I like the fact that he uh, sort of said that little anecdote about the uh, coffee and how his wife likes it with a sort of fancy sort of coffee and he just likes it straight up black, like petrol kind of thing. And I, I really like that sort of uh, honesty from a manager. And I think he's a, a really charismatic guy. In terms of character and personality, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Paul Warren and what he's done so far. I think what people are reacting to a lot is the fact he doesn't take himself too seriously. And the club has been through a pretty serious... Um, nervous anxiety you know ridden a couple of years and i think it's a prep of fresh air really to you know rosinia rosinia was was a very serious person you know i think he was he was a pretty honest guy and he had his kind of principles in terms of the way he wanted to play and the way that he wanted the club to operate but he was pretty serious and and rooney wasn't wasn't a barrel of laughs and neither was philip Koku. and the, and the club has been in a state obviously for two years and i think you've just got this whole new energy 
coming into the club. As you say, Chris, there's no guard. There's literally no guard. There's literally no filter on what he says. He answers any question, whether it's about cheese, coffee, or whether or not he'd take Liam Rossini onto his coaching staff, which he answered very directly, and but very fairly. And if you're honest with people and explain, even if it's a, a harsh reality of an answer, if you explain the rationale behind that and contextualize it and trust people not to take it out of context, then people generally will respect you for that. And I think you know all we can hope is that the players have the same response to him that the vast majority of the fan base has done because the fans seem to pretty much trust him pretty much immediately it seems from the first performance that the players do and it seems like from uh the five or six years at Rotherham he had that the, the players trusted him there implicitly as well so I think he's made a really good impression but it will ultimately come down to results that's how football is responded to or um that's how football managers are, are judged sorry and um I think he's he's made a, a pretty a pretty good start and he's won a lot of hearts and minds but you know now We'll see how much substance there is to back it up. And on the first impressions, there is plenty of substance. Two new chants that I heard in the away end. Uh, the first oh, one... so good. The first, the Guardiola one, definitely on board with that. That is really good. Yeah. Um, the other one about Southgate, I, I wasn't... I'm not that keen. Kutch, you were sort of a no. bit more ambivalent. Uh, and obviously- Oh, no, I was, very, I was very not keen on that. On the Southgate yeah. one? Yeah, no, it's just a Southgate song with different with Paul Warren. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but what we can all agree on is that the 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 Asula uh, tequila one. That, I mean, that's getting sung for about six months, isn't it? Like nonstop, probably. So yeah, and yeah, and if if you know what, the only thing that would have capped off yesterday, apart from a Collins hat trick, would have been an Asula goal because uh, it it was that that spread through the crowd pretty quickly when the guys to the right of us started yeah. that going. And it, it works perfectly and he looks a handful and I do think he looks way more like a Paul Warren player than a Liam Rossini player. And I think we'll see quite a lot of him, maybe just off the bench. I think he's going to be a real handful for us and a good useful tool for us in the last 20, 30 minutes of games. Am I going mad or is there a touch of the one chops about Asula or is that just a lazy comparison? Like I just, I just felt the way looking at him, he had that sort of uh, unpredictability factor of not really quite knowing what he was doing himself and not knowing which way he's going to turn or where he's going to go or how fast or slow he is. Like, I don't know. It's, it just seemed, it, it's just what came to mind first for me. Uh, yeah, there was one particular, I know exactly the moment you're talking about, Chris. There was a moment where he had the ball on the left-hand side inside the 18-yard box just in front of us. And he did about five very large stepovers in front of um, a defender that, and didn't really have a clue what was going on. I don't think Asuna knew what he was doing either. And he's kind of all limbs, but he's a lot stockier than one chop. Like I made a stupid comment on the WhatsApp group and to you in person that when he came on and started running around, it was kind of Erling Haaland-like in terms of just sure size and strength and pace of the man. Obviously, he's he is Norwegian. So... <laughs> he's a Norwegian, Norwegian man, that's about it. <laughs> I, I was really hoping to call you out on this this call, Kutch, because like, the Erling Haaland uh, comparison is ridiculous because he's going to score like 50 or goals this season and Asula hasn't scored one yet. Yeah, no, it's not a technical comparison, but in terms of just the fact, you know, I think very, very large, um, strong, fast strikers are pretty rare nowadays. Um, he, he, look, he, he's not as he's certainly not as fit as Harlan because he he was definitely blowing after twenty five minutes. Uh, Asuda, I don't know if that was just adrenaline. I think he was loving the fact the song was getting sung over and over again. Um, but I, I just thought that the, the, the physical presence of him, I think, is going to cause a lot of problems, and that's kind of what I was referring to. I think the one chop comparison is probably more apt, but he's somewhere in between, but a League One version of both. Got you understood. Uh, 
Time to wrap that one up, I think, and call it a day on that one. But anyone fancy a quiz? I think it's uh, it's time to dust off an old classic. Yeah, that's right. It's time for win, lose or schnore, uh, our Derby County results-based guessing game. Uh, five games, two players, but who will prevail? Uh, I believe Richard Kutcher is the quiz master with the power this week. So over to you, my friend. Yeah, same as last time we did this, but we didn't release it because of a recording malfunction. Uh, five games. You've got to tell me if it was a win for Derby, a, lo- a loss for Derby or a schnore. A Stefan Schnorr for Derby. Um, and there is also a, a connection to all five games as well, which will be a bonus point if we need it um, for, a, for a tiebreaker. So the first game is Nottingham Forest versus Derby in March 2017. The second game is Derby versus QPR in January 2009 at Pride Park. Derby versus QPR in January 2009 at Pride Park. Win, lose, or schnorr. Third game, Derby versus Ipswich, October 2013. Win, lose, or schnorr. Derby versus Ipswich at Pride Park, October 2013. Fourth match, Derby versus Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur of the Spurs, February 2002. Derby v Spurs at Pride Park in February 2002. I was at that game, I have you know. And then finally, game five, Derby versus Wickham Wanderers at Pro Park in November 2020. Derby versus Wickham, November 2020. Win, lose, or schnorr. I think I've got four of the five, and I think I've got the connection, but there's one of them that is really perplexing me. Let's start, uh, Tom. What do you have for the first one? Forest versus Derby. Uh, a schnorr. Also schnorr. 2-2, two, two, if memory serves. Vidra and Nugent. It was a, it was a schnorr and a point for each. Okay, Derby versus QPR, January 29, uh, 2009. Chris Parsons. This is the one that's worrying me. Uh, I'm going to say loss. I, I'd initially said loss, but actually I think it's a win for Derby, so I'm going to go win Derby. It is a loss. 2-0 to QPR. Derby versus Ipswich, 2013, October. Uh, Tom, win, lose, or schnorr? Uh, schnorr. Chris? Eight goal schnorr. It is. It's the 4-4. So one point to each of you. So Chris is still in the lead. 3-2. Um, all right, Chris. Derby versus Tottenham, February 2002 at Pride Park. Win. Tom? Yeah, this was a win. I remember listening to this on Five Live back in the day. Yeah. Who scored for Derby? Lee Morris with a goal that only just crossed the line. Yeah. I it, think. Yes, it was. John Gregory's it first game Morris. in charge, was it? Let's come back to yeah. that. Uh, one nil, <laughs> Lee Morris. <laughs> all right, so it's one each again. So it's still three, four, three to Chris. It's all coming down to this final one. If Tom can level it, um, Derby versus Wickham, tw- November twenty twenty. Tom win, lose or schnorr. Oh well, unfortunately, Chris will have this because uh, it was obviously quite recent, and uh, this was a schnorr. Uh... Uh, maybe I'm simple lampooning you, Chris. It's going to sound like I'm cheating, but I, it's, it's come back to me now. It was, it was I've, def- I've definitely just handed this back. Oh, this is outrageous. Can we have an adjudicator? So that's your that's your fault, Tom. Oh, that's completely your fault. There. What was your original it was thought? A schnorr. Well, I'll be honest. My initial thought was was loss. I thought it was the one where we lost one nil, but then I've I've revisited it in my head, 
and yeah, with, <laughs> so it's yeah, yeah, it was the uh, a one all schnorr, I believe. Looked it up on Google. No, oh, no, it was. I did, no, I did no. hear, I did hear typing there. Yeah, rats. Behave. Move behave. on. <laughs> it, it was a one one. Sh- it was a one um, and yeah, so all right, so Chris wins five four in controversial circumstances. I'll give you a chance, Tom, just for pride's sake. What was the connection? I, I think in all of these games, there was a last minute goal. Chris, is the connection managers' first games? Correct. Oh, <laughs> oh. late goal. <laughs> When he, when he said when he said John when he said John Gregory, I was like, oh, Tom, you're giving away the connection. Yeah, I? That's outrageous. I reckon if you look them up, though, I reckon it, it can't be far off because the the Forest game there was a, a last minute goal. The Wickham game, I'm pretty sure, is a last minute goal as well. Let me talk you through the first game. So Forest versus Derby, 2017. Gary Rowett's first game in charge. Derby v QPR, Jeremy, 2009. Nigel Clough's first game in charge. People wrongly think it was a Man United game. He was not in charge that day. Derby versus Ipswich. This is actually controversial because McLaren, he wasn't meant to be in charge, but he came down at halftime and took charge and we came back and drew 4-4. Uh, Derby versus Tottenham, February 2002 was John Gregory's first game in charge and Derby v Wickham was Wayne Rooney's first game in charge as sole manager. I'm taking that as a good clean win, I think. Yeah, well, um, done, well done, Chris. Thanks, yeah, thanks very much. Right. That sounds really heartfelt from you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom, commiserations. Um, honestly, I didn't cheat. And we will, I'm sure you'll get justice in a future uh, quiz instalment. But uh, until next time, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Give us a follow on socials, won't you? At Steve Bloomerpod on Twitter. Richard Gutcher, thanks for your time. Thank you for your time, sir. And Tom, sorry I didn't cheat. I believe you as much as I believe Liz Truss. <laughs> See you soon.